Welcome to An Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And they're young, they're in love, they rob banks. We're looking at Bonnie and Clyde. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Joe, how are you doing today? I'm okay, Jeffrey. How are you? I am good. As well. Bonnie and Clyde is a crime drama that came out on August 14th, 1967, and was directed by Arthur Penn and written by David Newman, Robert Benton, and an uncredited Robert Town. Amy Joe, what is your experience with Bonnie and Clyde? Had you seen it before? I had. I really think I've only seen this movie like once or twice, which is astonishing given my love of 60s cinema. Um, But yes, I saw it probably like high school and college. And then fun fact uh, with the real Bonnie and Clyde. So I'm I'm from Texas and with family all over. And my parents eventually moved down to uh, Spring, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. And I have been to what is now a store, but is a former <laughs> bank once robbed by Bonnie and oh, Clyde. Whoa. And if you ask, you can go see like there's a bullet hole still in oh, the like wow. the like stone and like it's like near like an old safe. And I asked my mom, I was like, well, what was that place? She's like, I can't remember the name of the store, but it was an old town spring, which is like a, a cutesy old fashioned village they've turned into like here, buy cute socks. Um, but yes, yeah, so I have been in a bank the wrong. Are they Bonnie and Clyde branded mer- merchandise? No. Bonnie and Clyde socks? No, it's oh, much more whimsical. You got Bonnie on one sock and Clyde on the other. Yeah, you'd think they'd capitalize on it. But... You'd think. Although that's just like the bullet hole in the wall. That's just like in the movie where they show the... Uh... Yes. The two guys like pointing Still, to the bullet hole this is like getting their photo taken. Maybe 10 years ago. I'm like going and seeing a bullet hole in the wall that's like, ooh. Like, I mean, come on. What are you going to spackle over that? Come on. You got to no. you gotta frame it. You got to, you know, get your attraction. Uh, that's great. So this film I saw once in high school or college, I believe, same as you. It had an interesting history to get to theaters because Jack L. Warner hated it. Just did not care for it one bit. Old Warner Brothers himself. Uh, the screening went so badly for him. He got up three times to pee throughout. Oh. And he initially dumped the film into drive-in and second-run theaters. Uh, and apparently went to his grave still hating the film. Well, at least he's <laughs> stuck by his guns. I know. And Roger Ebert, who'd only been a film critic for six months when he saw the film, hailed it as the first masterpiece he had seen on the job. And it wound up being nominated for 10 Oscars, yeah. including Best Picture uh, and Best Actor, Best Actress, Supporting Actor for both uh, Gene Hackman and uh, Michael J. Pollard. Uh, and then one, it's two that it won, was for Cinematography and for Supporting Actress for Estelle Parsons. So ton. Wow. this film was a big hit. Uh, and Warren Beatty, I, like Warner was so convinced it was going to flop that he offered Warren Beatty, now I forget offhand, but I, it was it was all, like 30%, like 40% of the gross instead of his minimal, the nominal fee that he was supposed to get. Because he was like, oh yeah, sure. Have fun getting like 40% of nothing, you chump. Uh, so he, and then it made like $50 million. Like, well, now I can make reds. Right. Now I can make, exactly. And now I can make reds. Whatever the film that you, I want. You needed money to be able to you did. make that reds. You weren't going to get that green lit <laughs> just out of nowhere. You were not. Uh, but this went through so many potential directors because Originally, Francois Truffaut was considered to direct, oh, but he oh. dropped out. Ha, ha, ha. He dropped out because he got uh, Fahrenheit 451, which he had long wanted and to he make. And he said, no, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, 
And then after he departed, the producers approached Jean-Luc Godard. What? I know. So, Why? Well, I think there was a certain, which I get when you're of how 60s the film That's is. Where so we're like true. the cross-editing it's of like. It's extremely 60s. That first yeah. shot of her and it's like we see her eyes like through the bed slats. Like that's right. extremely like French New Wave. I think that, I think that that's how they were consi- thinking about it as New Wave. Especially Jean-Luc, you're thinking like breathless. You're thinking yes. like, oh yeah, just like right in line with that. So some sources claim that Godard didn't trust Hollywood and refused. Robert Benton claimed that he. Cuthard wanted to shoot the film in New Jersey in January during the winter. And so... I have have questions. So many. But yeah, they objected as uh, Texas, which is where the story took place, had a warm climate year-round for the most part. I remember going Christmas shopping in shorts sometimes. Like, shorts and tank tops. It was like, well, it's December. Let's go to the mall. Right. According to this, Jean-Luc said, I'm talking cinema and you're talking weather goodbye but then- um, i will say though that like watching the movie there were a lot of times where i was like oh man that like classic brown texas grass mm. like that's what the grass does in the winter it the, the just... brown grass state is famously the famously uh, the, the, the brown motto. grass state as all texans are proud of everything texan they're really proud of their dead dead grass we're most proud of our brown grass <laughs> We keep it climactic. I don't know. Um, but I, that would, that would, do you know how many, that would anger me as someone who frankly doesn't care that much about being from Texas, just because it's like, as someone from Jersey, it would anger me. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not, that's not. Why are Bonnie knows? and Clyde on a shootout on the turnpike? How are they on this high speed chase on the parkway? I don't get it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Don't know. I have no idea about tax breaks to be filming in Jersey. No clue. But uh, then he, after the 1968 Academy Awards, Goddard sent Benton and Newman a cable that read, now let's make it all over again. Which seems like a way like, oh, you know, I loved it. I loved it. Now I want my chance to do it now because you got But we'll do it in Jersey. But this time in Jersey. Just make the Godfather. You know, why don't you just do that? Just make Goodfellas. Right. I know. I know. But so after them, Warren Beatty offered George Stevens, William Wyler, Carol Rice, John Schlesinger, Brian G. Hutton, and Sidney Pollock the chance to direct, along with Arthur Penn, who turned it down and then eventually accepted after all these other people turned it wow. down. Wow. Which you know that, you know, if you so you offer it, if you get offered a movie and you're like, I don't think so, but then you see that half of Hollywood turns it down, then it's like, well, hold on now. Now wait, I'm this is a real, it. This is a real uh, you know, cold ticket I see here before it's me. It's a real hot potato, is what it is. Get it <laughs> and out of my hands. In his hands. Ouch, ouch. Uh, but it worked out for the best. I was like, yeah, it's this and the miracle worker, like the two best things that mm. Arthur Penn is probably known for as a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get into it. Spoilers ahead. If you have not seen Bonnie and Clyde or haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief ish synopsis in the middle of the great depression clyde barrow and bonnie parker of texas meet when clyde tries to steal the car belonging to bonnie's mother bonnie who is bored by her job as a waitress is intrigued by clyde and decides to take up with him and become his partner in crime now i would like to say here real quick i'm not gonna get deep into it but i think it's worth saying they took a lot of liberties with history we all know it you don't need (sighs) to write to us about it you can just consult Yes. Wikipedia and Huge go. Oh, that's salt. not how they met. Fascinating. A dump truck of salt. A d- <laughs> <laughs> 
here you go. Here's a bunch of near it is, facts. It is an amazingly economical opening of her just it's, like. It gets right to it. Filming her through the bars of her bed as if she's like, I'm in jail. I'm naked here. In I'm it's in so French. Of my I'm just like, I, exactly. And then just spots him out the window and like, hey, you, hey, boy, hey, boy, stop stealing that car. And then like, talk to me, boy. Like, all right, well, I guess we're I'm going with you now. It's just like, that's it. She just goes right with them, which is hilarious to me. I'm like, this movie just gets right to it. Yes. Which I love. I love it for that. It's like, we don't got time. We don't got a time to well, draw this out we also got just banks to rob immediately establishes from this opening shot and scene of her naked and him trying to steal a car that like tells us so much of what we will come to learn about these two people in the way that they have written them to be in this film you right. know it's like establishes things we don't even necessarily know are being established where are their priorities yeah totally totally no it does great with that uh, they pull off some holdups, but their amateur efforts, while exciting, are not very lucrative. The duo's crime spree shifts into high gear once they meet the dim-witted gas station attendant C.W. Moss, who joins them as their getaway driver. What a sweet little hobbit. He is such a, he is a little hobbit. He would have been great if they made The Hobbit in 1967. Just get that guy. Get that guy. Like, that's all I could think was just like, look at this curly-haired denizen of Middle <laughs> Earth from the Southwest. Yes, they are trying to avoid all of the ring wraiths chasing after them as they are on their little bank robbing spree all across the Shire. I mean, that that's the hobbits. Come on. Those are the easiest marks. Oh, you just knock on their door hundo. and they're just like, oh, please, I am more than happy to give you all of my belongings. Yes. Wait. So does that make does that make Clyde like a Gandalf or like a Boromir? Clyde as the Gandalf or as the Boromir? That's an excellent question. I feel like he's more. Ooh, yeah, he's he's more the Boromir. Yes, he's well, got more of the anger issues. He's, he's a and rogue. He's more of a yeah. He's not. He's no wizard. What is They're he? Just he's like, Strider. He's Strider. Well, but he's not a. He ain't. He ain't no king. He's not my king. <laughs> no i think strider's the one coming after them strider is the cop that's like trying to hunt that's them down because they're getting up to no good maybe clyde the barrel gangs of the nas ghouls <laughs> that's i think we've cracked it we've cracked it i also love all of these times in the early goings and they're trying to get away these banjos where it feels oh, like we're dropped into so like funny. a dukes of hazard episode and i know yes root and toot and russell i have that running out Clive Owen, as Inside Man's Root and Toon Russell, runs forward, uh, trying to... A pistol in each hand, but doing yeah, them shooting like, him in the, like shooting lateral... Shooting in the sky. And pew, stamp, pew. stamp it on his hat. Uh, exactly. Right. But it, yeah, they should... Their little car should be going, uh, you know, up a corkscrew and jump over a lake and have... <laughs> with with these banjos, it does feel like it's a freeze frame and it's just... It, it, it does a very different... It has a very different effect, but reminds me of the way music functions in like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, where you're like, that's not what I would have expected. I wouldn't have expected raindrops keep falling on my head to start in this moment, and I wouldn't have expected like you know, a I, bunch of frogs playing banjos. I didn't expect raindrops keep falling on my head the first time, and I didn't expect it the second time. <laughs> I really didn't expect it the third time, but you know what? The fourth time you played that damn song in that film, you this, got you know what? This I, just I, makes I, I sense. I saw it coming. I saw it coming. <laughs> I figured you might. I think that's a good film, but good lord, the amount of times that song plays throughout they is They really want you to go home whistling numbing. it. They do. But I also saw that film, I think, after I saw Spider-Man 2, which they used it for a montage of Tobey Maguire when he no longer has his Spider-Man powers. So he's just looking like a real dope. So that's how I first wow. heard that film or that song used in a film. So then to see it. Oh, you're saying the song. The song. I was, I thought you were talking about like the in, because the, I haven't seen Spider-Man 2 since I was like on a bus once. So like, <laughs> I was like, 
Wait, they did a montage involving involving Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Well, yes. There's the part in the film where Peter Parker, he loses his powers, and then- He goes on the run to Mexico. Paul Newman and Robert Redford show up to try to, like, let him know. It's like, you know what? You don't need powers to- uh, You just need a couple guns and a a lot of- uh, And to jump- A lot of gumption. Off some ledges. And we'll escape Alfred Molina. Yes. I remember now. If you had Dr. Octopus chasing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I mean, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid do sound like superhero names, I will say. Heck, heck yes. Um, and Bonnie and Clyde don't. They need some, like, you know, Bonnie. Well, the Barrow Gang. That's that got is, some that's style. True. That's the, the Barrow Gang. That's they're, true. They're, I think their full names actually have a lot of oh. swagger. You know, oh. Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow and then the oh, Barrow I see, Gang. I, see. I thought you meant their full names. That, no, like, I think it's like Bonnie, Elizabeth. And then Clyde something something funkier, something more like oh, Clyde we... funky. <laughs> yeah. No? Yes. Great. Yes. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Uh, Clyde's older brother, Buck, and his wife, Blanche, a preacher's daughter, also join them. The boy, two... boy, is Ooh. she ever a preacher's daughter. Oh, man. Not in real life. <laughs> one of the many, many things about this. <laughs> like, you're one major character that survives the film. And you're like, eh, we're just going to make up everything. Yeah. The real Blanche. She tried to... She to try to sue the studio because it was just so wildly different from who she was in real life. It was yeah. kind of wild. Uh, but yes, the two women dislike each other at first sight and their feud escalates. Blanche has nothing but disdain for Bonnie, Clyde, and CW, while Bonnie sees Blanche's flighty presence as a constant danger to the gang's survival. The gang is pursued by law enforcement, including Texas Ranger Frank Hamer, whom they capture and humiliate before setting him free. It's just a great scene. I mean, which I think the film, it's such a great encapsulation of the film as a whole where it's like, we're having fun. This is so light until it's Until it is dark. And I do think the banjos do help with that. As silly as I think the banjos are, it is like, oh, this is all just like, we're having fun. It's a good time. We're stealing money. But especially that shot where like the bank manager jumps out of the car. And apparently that's one of the first times you've ever seen, I forget where, I think it's in, um, I think there's some Westerns, might've been like a Sam or a Sam Peckinpah film or something. But you only see, like, you'll see a person shooting the gun, and then you'll see someone getting hit with the bullet, but never in the same shot. Oh, This is wow. one of the first uh, times, at least in, like, a mainstream film, that you were seeing this shot. Because it's very close. It's very It's brutal. Disturbing, too. yeah. It's shot in the face. Shot in the face. It is, like, ooh. Yeah. Uh, also, all... <laughs> Warren Beatty wanted all of the gunshots to be much louder than the rest of the soundtrack, which I could tell while I was furiously trying to turn the volume yes, up and down. You were doing like, a I lot of adjustments. Turn the volume up. It's like the guns, and then like, okay, that's turn, turn, turn down. I don't want our neighbors to just be complaining. Um, <laughs> and he was greatly influenced. They did the same thing in Shane. So he went to a screening of Bonnie and Clyde in London, and he noticed that all the gunfire sounds were much softer than they were supposed to be. So he went to the projection booth, and the projectionist said, like, oh, don't worry, because he helped the film to by adjusting the gunfire because he said he had not come across a film that poorly mixed since Shane. <laughs> That's what you get. I love that. That's what you get. And oh, I mean, I, you know, as ridiculous. That poorly mixed I know. since Shane. You're as, like, well, I did what I wanted. Right. As ridiculous as some of these, like, directors being like, these are the exact specifications of, like, you need this kind of, I like, whatever millimeter camera in. Yeah. I get it when you have people that are doing stuff like that where it's like, why... We we trust that we are doing our job. And that we made a choice about this. You know what, though? It is also thinking that, like, about the Brits' attitude to, like, guns versus Americans, just based on our familiarity. Like, I always think of A Fish Called Wanda, and John Cleese says, I think, like, on a commentary track or an interview. So the scene in A Fish Called Wanda where Michael Palin comes home unexpectedly. And so Kevin Klein is like, oh, I got to go hide in the bathroom. And he, like, 
they, it pans over to Jamie Lee Curtis at the door, like looking out, and then she looks back, and he's got a gun out. And apparently, John Cleese said that line never, that like visual never got a laugh in the states, but it always got a huge laugh in the UK because the idea that some guy would be like, "Should I shoot him?" Just the different cultural attitudes are just like mm. that's hilarious. So I think also here it's just like, oh, this is distasteful. As opposed gotcha, to like, well, gotcha. yeah, that's the part of the point, right. probably. Uh, and then yes, the scene with this Texas Ranger where they are posing and taking photos and I love that kiss. he doesn't have a spoken line until like three quarters of the way through the movie. I know, but like what a great, it's like that's such a great setup for them to him come back later and be like, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm getting one more picture with them. Like, oh yeah. Dead bodies. And then when he does speak so much of it is in that scene with Estelle Parsons where he's not even in the shot except for like his hand. Yeah. It's a really interesting role just from a perspective of what you have to do communicate as an actor when like you're either not being seen yeah or you're being seen and you have no dialogue definitely and then it just ends where you know once he like spits in bonnie's face oh. and the clyde is just like pr- might drown him if it wasn't for buck pulling oh, him yeah. off like oh he would just drown him and you're like okay we this was such a funny scene i mean it is funny that they're taking these pictures like oh we're gonna send these to all the newspapers and everyone's gonna think like you're just friends with the bear gang and then he's he almost drowns him like in the water while he's mm-hmm. handcuffed behind his back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's such a great small scene that it's so good helps like set up the rest of the film too. Uh, so a raid later catches the outlaws off guard, mortally wounding Buck with a shot to his head and injuring Blanche while Bonnie, Clyde, and CW barely escape alive. With Blanche sightless and in police custody, Hammer tricks her into revealing CW's name as until then he was only an unidentified suspect, which I loved him asking. It's like, why do they call me an unidentified suspect? <laughs> like, what does that mean? He's just so sweet. He's just a little yeah. simpleton. Uh, Hamer locates Bonnie, Clyde, and CW hiding at the house of CW's father, Ivan, who thinks the couple have corrupted his son. The elder Moss strikes a bargain with Hamer in exchange for leniency for CW. He helps set a trap for the outlaws. When Bonnie and Clyde stop on the side of the road to help Mr. Moss fix a flat tire, the police in the bushes open fire and riddle them with bullets as a nearby flock of swallows fly away. And also Gene Wilder was in this movie. He was. We'll talk about him at the end. This yeah. great little it's little a scene of a scene. first film. First film, first baby Gene Wilder. Debut. He's so baby. Yeah. Such a baby. That de- baby debut. Um, back to that final scene. I mean, like, it's, you know it's coming. Obvi- I mean, obviously. Right. You know, they know it's coming. But just, like, the way that they shot it. The way that they, I mean, I'm curious as, you know, I I try not to do any research at all on the films, you know, when we're about to talk about them. But just like the mechanics of like how how they got like her body to jerk around like that in the car and all that's, you know. Right. Or I if mean, that's just her flailing about. I think it's a lot of her flailing. Well, I, if memory serves, they, I remember that one of the pieces of trivia was that they had to tie like one of her legs to like the gear shift yes. to keep her from falling yes. out of the car. So I, it might be that the car itself was also like moving a bit or have like a, a hydraulic or something. I, that I don't know. Whatever what it was is, moving it's the car. so distru- disturbing I do, and yeah. effective. Yeah. I, kn- I do know that they had a lot of like these flesh colored like little patches pretty much placed on them on strings so they could be pulled off. Like an early like squib. Blood. Well, not even that, but just like pretty much like blood, bloody makeup and then covering that with like little tan patches. So you pull the tan patches off and then it looks like they now, yeah. now they've got blood. Yeah. So kind of like a reverse squib almost. I don't, I don't know how else to describe that. Um, well, it's like, yeah, it's just a, you know, yeah, you're, you're pulling the makeup off. It's, it's Jack Nicholson in, um, 
as the Joker when he's like, I'm going to wipe my makeup off, but he's just like wiping makeup on his forehead. It's like such an easy reversal of what your brain is expecting. Yeah. It was supposed to be even like worse. Like Clyde was supposed to have like a chunk of his scalp, but then the person got so like that was supposed to pull like tug the string to yank that fake Uh part of his scalp off just got too overwhelmed by all of the gunfire and all of everything happening so it seemed like a lot of barely controlled chaos Chaos. i think it's fair to say we didn't need that uh no no although you know i mean it makes sense to like you're i mean this is reality showing like crime doesn't pay (laughs) this is like not a thing to actually then emulate and or or find them like what what a cool for as much as there's talk about how this movie glamorized crime couples i'm like yes but at the same time it definitely death is in like every frame you know yeah i i I don't think it does i love the scene where they're having like the family reunion and oh it's it's so depressing with bonnie's mom and where clyde is like this great like monologue of just wheeling dm like desperate now nah, that nah, miss parker like oh now nah. you know what ma you know what bonnie was just saying how she'd love to live just three like three minutes down the road from her mama now doesn't that sound swell and wow the only thing i do better than robin banks is like escaping johnny law and the mother is just like no she can't live three minutes down the road for me because then she'll go to jail she'll get caught like you, you need to keep you moving. keep running clyde barrow right it's like just I, like you know you need to she she says like two lines to him and then just like walks away and it's just like i who I do you think, think you're I'll talking to now. you're all just you're just bluster you are just like so lucky you're just lucky because yeah. this is the time when you know it's not like you can't have a bonnie and clyde today you know well you can literally cross state lines and know that they can't you know, they're not going to follow For back you. then. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't, I'm not, what is it? Was it Oklahoma? Or it's yeah. like, oh, I'm not getting caught. I'm not, in, I'm not getting, risking my, life risking and limb. Not, right, I'm not Oklahoma. risking my life in Oklahoma. So uh, the casting director of Bonnie and Clyde, I don't know. Or once again, as we sometimes do with our earlier films, uh, there's just, I've got no info that I could find on it. It was in the studio. Yes, it was probably just within the studio system itself. So it's a Warner Brothers picture. It's a Warner Brothers picture. So yes, so they were doing that in-house casting, I presume. That's the best I got for right now. But let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all a little subjective. And as always, I have looked up all the actors in advance, and Amy Jo is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. Shucks, I don't know nothing. (laughs) So let's kick it off with Clyde. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Warren Beatty, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Here's the thing. I was quite not perplexed. That's, That's a much stronger word for what I mean. But I was kind of like surprised by this performance in that he's very good but it's not as good a performance as i remember it being interesting if that makes sense i think he's excellent i think he he's beautiful he oozes charisma you know i i get why he was like such an it boy i'm like i believe everything but i'm not like i don't know i feel like there are other performances from this era that I just believe in a deeper, truer way. I, I agree. I agree with that. I, it does feel a little like playing at something. And yeah. I don't mind it for this because of that scene of how much of it is blustered, how much of it does feel like he's kind of printing sure. himself up. He's playing a role. So I think for this, it does work. It still gets across. And it, it feels like it is in the same world as everyone totally. else, even though they're I such distinct characters. It oh, totally I hear you, works. I'm just kind of like... I wonder what we would have gotten from someone else. But, you know. Someone else like who, Amy? Well, gosh. Who are you thinking? Well, this this would not have been an appropriate person for this point in time. 
And I don't know that it's the best option, but someone like Brando, like someone who has, he's so explosive. He's also so charismatic, but you know, I I, I feel like 25 year old Brando. Yeah. I feel like that's someone who you're like, what is going on in that guy's head? And I want to know. And yet I don't want to know. I feel like I just didn't a thousand percent land with me with Warren Beatty, but I mean, it did, he, he did a great job. Like, if I saw this today, I would not be like, this guy got an Oscar nomination. Like, I'm like, this, you know, he's he's very good. Um, it's just like, I think it's also, you look at, like, uh, Michael J. Pollard, who played C.W. Moss, who we'll talk about. Like, that's someone who I so believe is just pulled out from the country and plopped into this movie. Yeah, that really feels like someone who is just walked off the set. Yeah, yes. or walked onto walked the set. Walked off the street is. and onto walked the set. Walked off the street, onto the set. And, like, there are times when Faye Dunaway, like, I'm just, you know, it's it's a little... Like, she's just not quite as country as probably this woman would be. But, like, I also get that given, like, Bonnie Parker's aspirations and what they are. Whereas this, I was like, I feel you, like, him acting at it just the tiny, tiniest bit. And again, like, Brando is not, like, some country bumpkin. I'm not even saying that. I, it's just, like, I think right. that there may be another mm, avenue. I don't know. Um, Brando was, like, my my best uh more old-fashioned choice someone who is similar to warren Beatty, but i don't i don't know that he actually would have been better probably not even though i think he's a really wonderful actor but i don't think he's quite as strong an actor as warren Beatty. but that's richard beamer who played tony in the west side story movie he looks very similar he's someone who is very deeply felt there's something there's like a flash of something behind his eyes that like in West Side Story you read as like this infatuation that leads to mm-hmm. like this dangerous um he traverses a dangerous path yeah. in a way that makes yeah. sense that I feel like would work really interestingly as Clyde Great. um I do think Warren Beatty's probably a more nuanced actor um but yeah and then I don't know for contemporary actors I feel like there's so many people who could do a pretty good serviceable job um, but I was I was trying to think, like, who would get me to watch this movie now? And I couldn't <laughs> think of anyone that I was, like, a, a thousand percent excited by. Um, partially because of some of the things that I've mentioned. I think it's a more complicated role than it appears to be on the surface. Um, so, I mean, we'll never get this, uh, unfortunately. But I was like, someone... No, it's, not, it's uh, someone like Chadwick Boseman, who has, oh, like, I gotcha. this largess and that like just that like dialed in like depth yeah i would be i would be interested in a man who had endless charisma i mean mean, which is like you this couple you that's what you get i mean they are these celebrities they are the people who everyone is just like you know yeah that are that are helping them that are helping shoot at the cops to help them i mean part of that's also another thing i think the film does really well is point up the socioeconomics of the time and the attitudes toward it you know yeah um i think you get the scene early on of them with these farmers where they're they're just like shooting doing shooting practice and the people get back like oh the government like took our house yeah, took like the you got nothing against yeah. you and they're like oh here take our guns if we can we'll shoot, shoot at the, the house, bank sign shoot at the, the bank house. sign shoot at the house yeah there's some great like clyde barrow quote about like they weren't robbing the like the banks they were they were trying to like they were robbing like it was like uh, an anti-texas authority and, and law like that mm. kind of like the, the the prison system and all of that that they were against and so everything right. that we're doing was contributing to that at least according to clyde Another person who occurred to me who is very, I mean, probably couldn't be more different than Warren Beatty as far as a contemporary choice, but someone who has a lot of 
charisma and chaos energy mm-hmm. is Donald Glover. And I, it would be obviously a wildly different performance, but I would be interested. Uh, he also is someone who has like, there's like a darkness behind the eyes that you're like, I don't know. Uh, like there, there's like that chaos energy is, is like very risable, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's too old for this now. Like if you were uh, to me, I, I get where you're coming from with that. Like if you're gonna, I could see like, like Riz Ahmed, someone who like, a little more twitchier, mm, a little more mm-hmm. very just a lean, twitchy actor that is still like oodles of charisma. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's hard. I do. I I get what you're saying about Warren Beatty, but I to me it's like it just just feels so much of it as a performance that I think it's maybe it's just lacking like the a few more moments of the dropped in of like I who is he? Yes. Who yeah. is he behind all the bluster? Who is he? What's the fear? What's his version of fear look like? So I feel like we don't really see that. Other than, I'm so sorry, but the idea of Warren Beatty (laughs) being like afraid of sex is hilarious. Well, afraid of, he just says, it's like, I just didn't see like the use of it. That is like, is impotent. You know, not much of a lot. I know, but it's just like for being afraid of sex. It's just being like, yes, afraid of, afraid of being embarrassed because it's like, I got nothing going on down there. I know. It's just Warren Beatty in that situation is is yeah. a, a real, I think, also something that was playing on his public persona at the time. Right. No splendor in the grass for Bonnie and Clyde. Heck no. Right. Uh, it's, look, it's not great, but I was like, because of the, what I got from this character in within this film, less, less from real life, but within this film, is someone who, by sheer force of will, is like creating their own persona and Mm -hmm. is and it it is everything that they're doing is strictly by force strictly by sheer like this is what i believe and if this was made in the 80s i could see tom cruise because yes like young tom cruise because also Mm -hmm. clyde was five seven he died at 25 and was five seven so i like the idea of capturing someone capturing the youth and the height i think there's something interesting about getting this smaller guy so i was like if you made this today I'd be interested in a Timothy Chalamet as as in a Bonnie and Clyde. I, I would like that. I like I like the idea of someone who seems like a tinier, who's not larger than life. Totally. The way that his persona is. So Truffaut wanted Terrence Stamp. Uh, oh. You know Terrence Stamp, yes? Yeah. Yes, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and everything from Zod and... <laughs> The Superman and Superman 2. Uh, so in 19, 1967, he was in an adaptation of Far From the Matting Crowd with... Uh, Thomas Hardy. Yeah. Uh, and he was coming off of this movie, The Collector, from 1965, where he, like, kidnaps a woman and oh, it's mainly a two-hander. I've read that book. You read the book? Yes. Uh, so I, I feel like that is also... They're trying to get, like, oh, who's someone who's, like, sexy with a hint of danger? Yeah. Uh, but he had Terrence Stamp. We had... That sound means it's time to play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy. The way it works. Two of the following actors were up for the role of Clyde. One was not. And Amy Joe is to guess which is which. Your options are Robert Redford, <laughs> Paul Newman, <laughs> and Bob Dylan. Wow. I'm going to say no to Newman. I'm sorry. That is incorrect. Then I feel like Bob Dylan is so weird. You wouldn't just put Bob Dylan in there. Look at that impassable face. (laughs) I'm going to say Robert Redford. That's correct. Robert Redford, as far as I could tell, was not considered. But that also seems, you know, 
of, he was like of such a golden boy that it's like we That's can't true. have you with a gun. I not guess. yet. Well, well, in the same year, I believe he was doing uh, Barefoot in the Park, which is about as far from the opposite <laughs> of Bonnie and Clyde as you can get. Gosh, I just ran up all these stairs. I had to walk up five flights of stairs. Corey, you're being too outrageous with whatever. Just wanting to dance. Wanting to go walk barefoot in the park. Not even dance. Just walk barefoot in the park. It's too cold. Uh, yeah, that's really the opposite. As far on the <laughs> other end of the spectrum as you can go. Uh, but Truffaut is the one that was interested in Paul Newman then. Newman makes sense to me. It does. 1967, though, he was doing Cool Hand Luke, which is such an iconic Newman role. Classic. Classic. He's a little older uh, at the times. because Warren. That's ba- why I didn't in- right. initially select him. Yes, because Warren Beatty was, I believe, 29. And so I forget mm-hmm. how old exactly Paul Newman was. But like he, it's like you want, like Warren Beatty could still look like a bit like a Boy playing dress when up you to let his hair get a little get long floppy. and curly and floppy mm. yes exactly yeah and warren Beatty is the one who originally was interested in bob dylan uh because he was 25 at the time and he resembled the real clyde more uh for whatever reason that didn't turn out whether or not it was just bob dylan well, being like dylan didn't go on to have an illustrious film that. career so <laughs> for many reasons yes uh yeah no and then he of course took the role for himself uh which i think worked out for the best, I mean, Paul Newman, I would love, Paul Newman, <sighs> Paul Newman's great. That's the thing, though, is, and I think it goes similar to Robert Redford. It's just that there's such a, not, suaveness isn't the right word, but it's he just has like an such, such an ease. And Warren Beatty is a little more twitchy. He does have a little more of like, this, for sure, this guy is not smooth He's more of a live this wire. Film. It's yeah. Cary Grant yeah. versus Brando. It's Fred Astaire yeah. versus Gene Kelly. Exactly. You, know, you have totally. more of this explosive energy versus the kind of more, not legato necessarily, but silkier energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to Buck. Old Clyde's brother Buck. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Gene Hackman and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I think he's so good. Oh, it's Just great. comes in at a 10 and then exits at a 14. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's true. Um, but I, I was also just thinking like he comes in and the energy and the velocity. And then I feel like in Hackman's performance, you can really see what he's masking. Not for much, not for much, not for much of the film. There's that scene when they go inside. It's like, come inside. I want to talk to you, you know? Mm. And he's just like, you, you had to, right? <laughs> oh boy, we're going to have a good time. What are we going to do? But it's just like, he really like the bluster and bravado just feels very lived in. Yeah. It feels very human. I feel like he comes on screen and I know instantly who this guy is you're he, and you're seeing the man underneath the good times yes but it it just feels very cohesive okay. the whole performance does i love it i think he's great such great big brother energy oh just yes as soon as he enters the frame it's like yep this is the dynamic the dynamic is set we get this great joke from gene hackman that we get to hear twice about this cow's milk this like mother's oh, mother like build you gotta drink your milk again. and they keep like putting like a little rum or whatever a little sherry a little sherry a little sherry she doesn't drink because she doesn't drink so they put a little sherry in to get her to yeah drink either drink her milk or for her medicine it's so, like each day she's just drinking it a little like faster and faster and by the end it's like son don't sell that cow <laughs> and then the second time he says it to gene wilder it's gene wilder right yeah. where everyone is like so over this joke you could just see how many times he's told the same joke so it's just like gene hackman and gene wilder cracking up over don't sell the cow but the first time he tells it it's also great because they have the scene of the two brothers in the car and they're laughing and they're shot like looking at each other and just laughing and then it cuts to bonnie and and blanche blanche in their car 
silent. Oh, right. Blanche is like facing the other direction. Just like not a word between not them. Not a word. And it's so short. It's the scene yeah. is like maybe 10 seconds. Yeah. And it's it's so good. So the joke serves a lot of it covers a lot of ground. Um, Yeah. You sang like the good big brother energy. I don't know why this made me think immediately of this actor. But um, like if this were. 10 15 years ago uh we've talked about him in previous episodes but like Schuler hensley would like oh, be fantastic yeah. in this role uh greatest showman van helsing I won a tony for oklahoma um but he's got he plays like a lot of that kind of like country kind of guy a lot too you know he's from georgia likable bear yeah likable bear but also yeah. like not it's actors can act we can all like adapt to different energies. However, there is something, and I don't know where Hackman's from, but there's something that reads very authentically like from the South about him. And that I feel like that's something like you have an actor like Hensley comes in and it's like that, that sits on him. Well, you know, sure. Um, I thought a choice for like 20 years ago, like Philip Seymour Hoffman, maybe, um, I have written here, Tommy Lee Jones, if he ever had fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's just, I don't think he has enough of a goofball sense of humor no, to I do No, I mean, this. that classic Texas Ranger to me, Tommy Lee Jones, yes. is hunting down the criminals. Tommy Lee Jones as the criminal has always been a strange, a strange, strange flavor on yes. Tommy Lee Jones for me. Uh, I hear you. Yeah, if Tommy Jones had fun. <laughs> uh, that's literally what I have written on here, if he ever had fun. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of character actors who could bring this to life really vividly. Um, but those were just my, my quick thoughts on book. Great. Knowing this was the same year as Cool Hand Luke, I was like, that's George Kennedy energy. He's also a little older because Gene Hackman was 36. I Mm -hmm. think George Kennedy would have been like, I think 40, 41. So Mm -hmm. not too much older than Gene Hackman, who still, Mm -hmm. Gene Hackman still reads younger. George Kennedy and Cool Hand Luke definitely George Kennedy's read 40, 41 since he he was 2022. That is what I want though. It is that big bear of energy it was mm-hmm. like i'm com- I'm, I'm a f- I'm fun bear uh of him or i see like stacy keach he might have been thought of, oh, he's on yeah. my lo- that's wild i was like no i won't say <laughs> stacy keach uh and this also reminded me of a lot of james khan and godfather energy of sunny so i could also see oh. james khan of just coming in and he's he's the guy that's like i can you know i'm pushing around my little brother but also it's like little brother is the one that's calling the shots like i can still take that back seat mm-hmm, i can see james mm-hmm. khan and you said Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think actually a young John C. Riley. I would actually John C. be really Riley interested well. in this. Uh, so Gene Hackman was on the set one day when he noticed a guy standing behind him and staring. And the man said, hell, Buck would have never wore a hat like that. So Hackman turned around and looked at him and said, maybe not. And he said he thought he looked like an old Texas farmer. And so the man came up and introduced himself and said, nice to meet you. I'm one of the Barrows. <gasps> well, he would know. He would know. He would know. Book would never wear a hat like that. <laughs> Widen wardrobe. Consult the barrows. I mean, as far as Blanche is concerned, they, you know, yeah, they, didn't they, consult a lot. Well, they, 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 they were too busy making a movie to let a little thing called the facts get in the way of a good story. Heck, yeah. that's true. That's true. Uh, so one other actor that was up for Buck, 1967, Jack Nicholson. He did occur to me and I was like, no close but not right for me to me though i think that's amazing sibling casting 
there were shots in this where Warren Beatty to me reminded me of Jack that's, Nicholson. That's a good point. Because I really, I think I've only seen Warren Beatty mainly in this and Dick Tracy. I just have not seen a lot of Warren Beatty on film, I realize. I know you've seen some stuff like Splendor, Splendor, Splendor in the Grass. But I have not. And I'm a lot more familiar with Jack Nicholson. So that was where my ref- frame of reference kept wanting to fall back to that I was like, wow, Warren Beatty has a certain like handsome pinchedness mm. that Jack Nicholson mm. had in those days. So I, yeah. I feel like that'd be really good sibling casting. But uh I get it. He was busy doing a movie called Hell's Angels on Wheels, where I believe he's a gas station attendant that gets swept up in the crazy life of Hell's Angels. When was Five Easy Pieces? Like 67? No, no. Earlier? Five Five Easy Pieces is, I think, a little later. I think that's the 70s. Okay. Was really when he, like, hit. Okay, so actually, now that I'm thinking about it, super young Jack Nicholson would make more sense to me. You like, know? like he's only a few years out from Little Shop of Horrors at this point. Like Which he's still, he's, he's like about version. to hit. He's yeah. like about to hit as Jack Nicholson. So he wasn't like the lead lead of big films like Five Easy Pieces just yet. So yeah. he was still like early enough in his career. I'm just thinking about, you know, as, as actors, especially ones who become super famous and especially ones who become super famous in cinema, mm-hmm. a lot of them do as we've seen with Jack Nicholson, with Pacino, certainly uh, there's a certain like calcification into like, this is what I do, which doesn't mean they can't break out of it. And doesn't mean that isn't brilliant, but like, I think like I'm thinking Nicholson, like post cuckoo's nest and shining. And it's really hard for me to take that like violence out of it, which of course Buck does violent things, but like, to to make sure that the balance is such that it's like Buck happily goes along with his brother, but his brother though is the one who instigates all this stuff. I think that's where like my brain is going. But yeah, I think a younger Jack Nicholson reads is just a little softer. Maybe that's what it is. Is I'm thinking of like a hard edge in there that would not have been there yet. I, Gene Hackman does have that lovable bear energy, yes. which is not something I would ever describe about Jack Nicholson. No. It's almost like Jack Nicholson could be a Clyde. Yes. That but that's feels, not right. That's not me. right. But, but it, I think it, also it is, is yeah, I think it's too close of energetic. That's wise, exactly yeah. what I'm like, what what is that about that? But it's like you have an actor they're, like Jack they're Nicholson. On, like, the is same, good. They're playing I think they're playing the same note. Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson would be playing the same too much the same note. And Gene yeah. Hackman is coming in with a completely different energy and it works so beautifully it's off gorgeous. of each other. It's yeah. a beautiful I mean this the reason they all got nominated for Oscars is it's a beautifully calibrated ensemble performance. One hundred They are all fantastic at playing in this yeah. little band together. Yeah. It re- it really does feel like a like a five a five piece a little band. five piece band. Yeah. It's so it's so well calibrated, the five of them together. Yes. Whether or not it's like, you know, I feel like we can argue of like this person a different person for one particular role, but does that throw off the balance of the film? That's such a good the, point. As a five piece unit, they're I think they're wonderful. so they're great together. Um and speaking of, let's move on to one of those other pieces of the band, OCW Moss. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Michael J. Pollard and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? We've already talked a bit about him and I think he's, he's the perfect little hobbit in this he film. He is wonderful. Like he's, I find him so odd without drawing attention to that. And like part of that's the writing. Like there's that one line where, you know, Bonnie's like, can't go to your own, your own suite or go to your own cabin. 
And uh, he's like, well, why don't, why don't y'all go on in if you want to play with CW? It was just like, if you want to play with CW, like it's he's so like the telling. Yes. He is the baby of He is the crew. little baby. And there's this weird quasi-sexual energy between him and everyone. It's so <laughs> bizarre. But I think he's it's- a sexy baby. <laughs> goo goo ga ga. Um, but I think he's so charming. And then those scenes with his dad, you know, in that yeah. end when he's like, nobody catches Clyde. Never like that flash in his eyes. Mm. You, you sort of understand like that first scene where he's introduced to them and he like sw- like swaggers on over to the cash register and gets it and then right. throws the money in. Well, it's like you know what kind of car? Oh, you know about cars? You know what kind of car this is? Like oh, it's a whatever. It's a Ford 19- coupe. 19- Ford, Ford coupe. And no, it's not. Oh, I think it is. No, it's a whatever. It's Ford. A it's a stolen Ford coupe. And he's just like oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think he is so charming, which is it's that strong Hobbit energy. Where you're like, you might be doing something irritating, and yet, oh gosh, I just like you. You know, it is the thing where like I could, you can see him great on Bonnie at times. You could see him be like make mistakes and be a grating presence. But I always loved him. I was like, I like this person. I'm, da- I'm following them. I don't want anything bad to happen. And I forgot. I couldn't remember what his fate wound up right. being. So I was like, oh, I see. His dad. I forgot that oh, his father is the one to try to like right rat out. Um, save his son save by his son, you know yeah. yeah save his son from getting any more terrible tattoos got this big old <laughs> chest tattoo that's right which, which seems to be one of the biggest concerns of the father is is like it's of course yeah you're robin banks and i don't like but this tattoo son well, like what did you what why what would compel you i forget him in the chest? also what religion he said they were church Ooh. of god or something but i suspect okay. it had a well, lot there to you do go. with that because the, temple, the body is temple uh, yes exactly a lot of religions like that would actually be like an absolute no-no and so there's you know there's also a reason that they have him saying that to set up this father that was my uh, understanding it's like oh that's why we're supposed to know he's like whatever whatever the uh, denomination was Hmm. um was my thought um the first person i have and it's purely because i just couldn't stop thinking hobbits was like oh Sean Astin, maybe. I don't think I'd like him as much. Rudy, though, little Rudy era. Sean yes, Astin, yes. I get that. I, it, I was like, I could, I could buy it. Um, a lot of my others are really obscure actors. <laughs> this is, uh, this is not obscure. My mother would be loath to hear me calling this actor obscure. But Tommy Kirk, who was a a Mouseketeer in the original show. <laughs> I'm talking Annette Funicello era, and he's the older brother in Old Yeller. And in mm. all those Disney mm-hmm. films, I think he was a Hardy Boy on the TV. You know, anyway, so he was like a little a little Disney actor, but he would have been. I, I he was like the same age. Although looking this up, Michael J. Pollard was three years older than Faye Dunaway when filming this, which blows That's my mind because he just wild. seems like a tiny little baby. Yeah. Um, but I was like Tommy Kirk. He always read a little too like. I don't think he would quite read like bumpkinish enough for this, mm. but you know he was a wonderful young actor. And then, because I was thinking of West Side Story because of Richard Beamer, um, David Winters, who's the dancer who in the movie played Arab, who has like the blonde kind of like, it's not a mohawk, but he's got like the hair sticking straight up. He's like, easy action, wears like the red jacket. Anyway, that's, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I could see some like kind of wiry, kind of small guy like that. Yeah. Um, again, very different energetically. I think this guy's perfect. Good job. Also, fun fact I found out, Michael J. Fox's middle name is like Andrew or something like that. But he put the J in his name in homage to this actor, Michael J. Pollard. That's great. See, I didn't know that. I knew that 
his middle initial started with an A because when he, there's already a Mike Fox. So he was like, okay, well, I'll have to do an initial, but he didn't want to do Michael A. Fox because he was worried it would sound. Michael, comma, a fox. Well, he was more worried it would sound Canadian. It's like, I'm Michael, Michael A. A. Michael A. Fox. That's funny. <laughs> wow. the concern. I love how I'm concerned about grammar and he's concerned about, you know, another legitimate concern. But yeah, he went with, oh, and Jay rhymes That's with right. A. So I can see why you would like, yeah, oh, I'll do it like this enough. guy who is an Oscar nominee for also playing younger characters than he is in life kind right. of thing you know i was trying to think of like younger i mean i can't think of anyone else at this time i think this actor is so perfect for this uh but just in general if this was made whatever like in the early aughts of like a young patrick fugit almost famous as oh. patrick fugit of yeah. like lovable small slightly strange a bud court around harold and maude like that uh, Bud court, a short bud court, short court, tall, short, tall court, little, little weird, short court. You can pop him in the back of the little buggy. Right. Or, or if there's like, he's, I mean, he's come to prominence now, uh, too old for the role, but, uh, Paul Walter Hauser, who of recent note played, he's the lead, the titular character of Richard Jewell and he's in I, Tanya, oh. and, uh, you've seen him, Amy Joe, he's in a uh, black Klansman. He's like of the Klansman. He's like, there's the one particularly dopey just like oh, uh-huh. oh, 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 type guy yeah uh him that he is an inc- he's an incredible actor because he is so perfect at seeming so dim it's on hard film. it's an art it, he really makes it an art form especially in i tanya it really is he should have been nominated for an oscar for it because it's an incredible wow. performance of someone that's like there's just nothing going on when really you know there's so much happening for to this make actor it like to that. make it to work so hard to make it look like that there's nothing we going on gotta watch born yesterday because that to me is like the epitome of that which is the reason she won an oscar, won an oscar for, for it, it you know Judy holiday yeah i'm down all right all right listener you here you, you listener you bring the hold popcorn him to it hold him <laughs> to it uh so michael j pollard admitted in later interviews that he borrowed his accent for this film from bob dylan on the blonde on blonde Come album on. so thankfully bob dylan wasn't in the movie because then he would just be doing an impression of the guy right across from him this is the beautiful thing about art as a just a, an artist as an instrument uh, through which we synthesize information is that it's gonna sound a lot different coming out of bob dylan than michael j pollard <laughs> that is very true we're gonna receive that yeah. very differently and so I guess this was just very early in his career because Michael J. Pollard didn't realize that in eating scenes, you don't actually eat all the food. Oh, no. So in the scene where they have Gene Wilder and Evans Evans, what a great name, as in, in the back, and uh-huh. they're all eating these burgers, he ate, he had to eat 12 whole hamburgers because he didn't know he ate a whole burger during this take. Because I guess the way they, they probably just ran it, like they might have had like two cameras or whatever just yeah. going and just ran it through the whole time, possibly opposed to doing coverage i don't know but either way he ate a whole hamburger the first time so it's like okay take two okay cool good thing i'm still hungry but take five it's like ooh, oh, i no. uh i don't tend to eat five hamburgers in a row so he had to eat 12 hamburgers <laughs> <laughs> it's classic cw uh yeah so truffaut when truffaut was still interested circling the project he wanted robert walker jr who's an actor, he's a small role in Easy Rider, is probably mm-hmm. his biggest thing. So Jack Lemmon won his first Oscar, because he won two. He won the first as a supporting actor Oscar for the movie Mr. Roberts as this character, Ensign Pulver. I don't know if you've ever seen this film before. I haven't. Mr. It's Roberts. always been one that, yeah. as a completionist of every movie ever made, uh, of, in my course, youth, I was like, I'll see and, them all. And, you know, doesn't that just get harder each year? Each year, I'm like... There's so many films that I want to see, and I, each year there's that many more. I'm like, I don't got time to watch them all. Nope. I'm going back. Listener, I just started watching The Sopranos. 
just started watching The Sopranos because it's supposed to be so season good. Season one, the man started I'm, I'm, with. I'm on season two now. I'm on season two. I'm making wow. headway. I'm on make, making headway. But there's just so much. There's just too much. I can't keep up with it all. So I'm like, will I ever watch Mr. Roberts? Because I love Jack Lemon to see one of his Academy Award winning performances. Same with, I think he won the second one for maybe Save the Tiger. Is that a film I'll ever see? Will I have time for it, listener? I don't know. Unless we do it on the pod and which i have case, to make time for it he'll make the time baby. right but the point of this story was aside from just saying how much <laughs> i love jack lemon is that he won an oscar for playing this role ensign pulver it was like a, a real practical joker from what i could tell mm-hmm. on, on the ship on, on the ship of mr roberts so nine years later they made a sequel spinoff called ensign pulver but now the character was played by this actor robert walker jr and was a huge critical and commercial flop. That's, I'm sorry. I've been sitting here going, do I know Robert Walker Jr.? And I've just, re- I was like, why do I hear someone saying that name in my head? And I realized, no, no, no. It's from over listening to the sound, like to the recording of Ragtime, when they say Cole House Walker Jr. It's a little different. Yes, but I'm like, why do I keep hearing Tum Tum Walker Jr.? It is a Walker Jr. I'm just thinking Brian Stokes Mitchell. <laughs> but I'm trying to imagine any successful film where an actor won an oscar for the role and so almost a decade later you're like you know be a good idea we should make a movie with that character but not have that actor back you know Mm -hmm. it's like you have jack lemon back for that and of course i'm guessing jack lemon he was like no thank you i'm too busy doing what whatever broadway getting more broadway i'm I'm getting more oscar nominations for other films i don't gotta revisit that that kid from nine years ago from early in my career so I don't know, but that did not work out well for Robert Walker Jr. Because that's just, that's, no one wants to do that. That stinks. You know, it's like, it's, it'd be like nine years later than, you know, for, well, I mean, I guess they did. For Hannibal, they got uh, Julianne Moore to replace Jodie Foster. Right. But at least Julianne Moore was still Julianne Moore. She already had enough cachet for people to be like, she can handle it. Right. Yeah. But imagine if they replaced her and Anthony Hopkins. It's like, what are you, what are we doing here? Why are we, why am I watching characters we love where you, Got different actors. I don't know. So he, I think this would have been a much better choice for Robert Walker Jr. Who knows what could have happened for his career if he had. And the other actor that was considered for this, bananas to me, Jack Nicholson. For CW For Moss? CW. But well, he and Beatty were deemed too similar. Which Oh, well, there you go. There you go. But like, Here's which the, make, for the brothers makes sense, but not for yeah. when he, they're not related. Here's and also the, his character. In, no. in, some of, in some of my very quick historical brushing up I did, this character looks to be an amalgamation of like two people. Correct. So you can do whatever you want. Very you true. You can write him however makes sense. You know, this adds such like a beautiful note of, huh? to the ensemble um <laughs> that jack nicholson it, yeah it'd be too much like why isn't this guy playing buck or clyde yeah i've know? never seen jack nicholson play this level of dim no yeah it, no. it just i don't think that would work even when you're like you don't, even when jack nicholson wasn't jack nicholson yet it's still it's like that doesn't it would that not, doesn't read on him it would not fit him comfortably no especially when you've got the Clyde role right there which yeah. honestly I think that that's why Jack Nicholson doesn't make sense in any of these roles it's because he'd be best suited for Clyde and that's also not a perfect and fit Warren's so it's like, like I got here. this showed up for myself yeah. <laughs> right exactly uh so let's move on to Bonnie Amy Joe, your thoughts on Faye Dunaway and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else I think Faye Dunaway is great like she's stunning she's like so she does so much and conveys so much without having to speak that much. Like basically once Buck shows up Mm -hmm. and Blanche, you know, she doesn't talk that much, you know? And I think she 
does a great job. She looks great in a beret. You know, what's not to love? Um, yeah, she wanted to have, uh, she wanted to be dressed in pants because she was worried about how much of the time they had to be going in and out of cars. And the costume designer was yeah. like, trust me on this. And gave her like the, that iconic, like the the skirts the yellow, and the beret. Looks and incredible. Yeah, it, it really was like, it was a, a big thing at the time then, that that style. Oh, yeah. For people to wear. Well, and it evokes the style. I mean, I will say this whole film clearly was shot in the 60s she has a freaking like little bouffant in her hair like it's it reminds me like funny girl and camelot are both movies that it's like they're set in very different periods and yet they could only have been shot in the 60s because of the eye makeup and the hairstyles and uh i feel similarly with this where it's like okay i I mean it's inaccurate but you look fabulous (laughs) and at the end of the day isn't that what matters i mean they're already you know we're less concerned about historical accuracy in regards to our story in regards to the facts so so in regards to the hairstyle and outfits uh... i think it would make scenes i mean the the thing is the scene where they go back to like the the like the dusty picnic for lack of a better way of putting it when she goes and sees her family like it lands pretty hard but i feel like that scene and the scene where they like meet the like uh, I'm not sure, like, it doesn't look like a farming community, but, like, they meet the other really poor little settlement where they yes, get the when, water from Yes, when they pass uh, the cast of the Grapes of Wrath going by. When they by. pass the Grapes of Wrath, all of them. They're on their way to California. They're on their way to California, have, yeah. and they're stuck on the side of the road. Um, but those people do not look like glamorous film stars from a 1960s film. You know what they I mean? They sure don't. Um, so it's just, it's an interesting also holdover, I think, from the studio system of, like, wanting to make sure our stars still look glamorous even though that which is fine i mean she's you know faye dunaway but it's it's an interesting yeah. and i think that plays into like the the you know the, the public pers- perception, the public perception sure. of her especially like that yeah the because in famously in real life you know the photo of her with the cigar in her mouth and the gun so she was then known as this like cigar she never smoked cigars gun toting broad this mall and it's like right exactly this was just like she no was she's putting it up for a pose she did it for a photo for a joke for this yeah. picture but then people had this idea of of her based off that for sure um i had a lot of thoughts i mean i think there's it's a great part you know um and i think she is excellent in it but it's not it's it's not like uh whoopie and sister act where they clearly sculpted so much of what happens in the film around the star's skill set right so it's it feels like there's room for someone else um even though it feels very like the image of her is so like indelible um i felt like if this were made five years ago it would be emma stone like i can see her in the outfit it's just like i can see her looking so much like that i feel like that is the the initial hollywood Mm. kind of go-to you know sure um i mean yeah they just want emma stone as bonnie and ryan gosling as clyde I won't respond to that. Um. Well, it's only because they've paired them together in three different films. And, you know, they are great together. They are great together. They're very Uh, charming. But, yeah, I don't actually want that. But, uh, yeah. We don't. Make him, make him, make Ryan Gosling BCW. Little, little, he's a little baby Gosling. I would love it. I would love Ryan Gosling eating this ice cream out of a, like, Chinese food container. Yes. And with a little tattoo on my chest. A bunch. It looks nice. Um, Obviously, I know that. Shirley MacLaine was originally supposed to play this part until her brother was like, JK, JK. I'm going to take Clyde, I'm gonna so take it might Clyde. be awkward if you took Bonnie. Then we really got to make sure that There's... Clyde 
not a hint is of impotent sex. and does yes. not have sex. That's how we get around it. Well, yeah, it's yeah. totally okay. <laughs> um, I think Shirley MacLaine would be fantastic in this. I would love you it. You know, she's yeah. just so, I just think she's so good at, at acting and is such a great vivacious persona, you know, which would work really well for this. Um, but she didn't get to do it, uh, famously. Um, let me see. Let me see. I thought if this were done, I couldn't think of anyone like today today because I'm just not as familiar with the kids who are coming hot off the Disney Channel shows that everyone's <laughs> a cast and stuff. Um, but so I'm thinking like, you know, contemporary, but when a mm-hmm. few years back. So I thought maybe like a Laura Preppen, you know, from Orange is the New Black, mm. just someone where you're like, you got a spine of steel and secrets to hide. You know, <laughs> that's just made me think that obviously a young Kate Blanchett. Come on. Oh, that's a gimme. Someone who would have been the right age. She's not American and certainly didn't play a lot of Americans, which is my. I mean, obviously, Kate Blanchett isn't, but she's played a lot of Americans. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave, someone else who oh, was like sure. very commanding, striking, yeah. uh, excellent on the screen. And then I don't know. I mean, this would really be. She is potentially too grand for for like this like Queen Elizabeth. Queen, how did you know? Who's grander? <laughs> True, true. I was thinking Eartha Kitt, but sure, Queen Elizabeth mm. as well. My second guess would have been uh, Dame Shirley Bassey. Uh, but, and er- Eartha Kitt does feel a little closer to Shirley Bassey than to the Queen of England. Uh, yeah, Eartha Kitt would be rad. I mean, I can just, like, talk about, like, seeing her in the costumes and just standing there, like, with that, like, glare, you know, but also someone who communicated tremendous joy. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, have a, you know, there's a lot of, th- you know, like a Susan Sarandon. We saw Thelma and Louis. I don't know. There's like a lot of people oh, who sure. could do it pretty good, there's you so know? There's so many people. There's so many people that, of course, especially when you remove it from time the way we do, because I couldn't think of anyone else in, in the moment. I was like, but I was like, if it was made today, so I'm pairing it with Timothy Chalamet for my version, where if this movie was made, if this movie never got made in 67. But today they're like, oh, you know what? No, one, no one's ever made a movie or a TV show. Or a musical. Or a short-lived Broadway musical about Bonnie and Clyde. Let's make one. I'm like, give me Timothy Chalamet. And I could see either Elle Fanning or Eliza Scanlon, who is probably best known as Beth in The Most Recent Little Women and for Sharp Objects, which that especially mm. is where I'm thinking of because she's terrifying in, believe in Sharp Objects. I believe it Elle Fanning, um, yeah. But Elle Fanning as well. There's something about her watching her in The Great where I'm like, I mean... I mean, I guess it's like, you know, she's someone in the, I guess in the great, she follows a somewhat similar path where in the beginning, she's like, so I'm all in naive about like the circumstances. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm and so quickly is like gains the upper hand and is like, oh, no, okay, I'm not dumb. I just was uneducated to this way of life. I was I was ill-informed, I was but Ill-informed. I'm way smarter than this situation calls for. Yeah. So she's someone, I think she's just so good on, on the gray. And I was like, oh, okay, I could see that. A, a moder- modern day, modern day Bonnie, I, mm-hmm. give me an elf ending or Eliza Scanlon. Uh, so initially, Warren Beatty refused to have Faye Dunaway build above the title with him. Even during shooting, he would fight. It's Bonnie. No kidding. And. No kidding. Clyde. It was until the film was shot, and then he realized how strong of an impact she was going to make in the you role think? that she agreed to give her star billing. But I'm like, when it's exactly when it's the title, the title, the is, title isn't Clyde featuring Bonnie. It's Bonnie and Clyde. The Barrow Gang. It's weird to me. It's weird to me when you have titles Clyde, like that. But mostly Clyde. Like right. it'd be saying it'd be like having the title twins and then just having Arnold's yes. name and not Danny DeVito. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> and Clyde. That's the title. And Clyde. Uh, yeah, I don't get that. Wow, but, uh, that's, thanks, no, I get that. Yeah. It's called Ego. Ego. <laughs> uh, so Truffaut 
wanted this actor, uh, Alexandra Stewart, who'd acted in his films Day for Night and Bride Wore Black, but had also acted already across Warren Beatty and with director Arthur Penn in the movie Mickey One in 1965. So she, which is weird to me that Truffaut considered her, but she'd already worked with Beatty and Arthur Penn, mm-hmm. uh, which is a movie about a stand-up comedian who goes on the run from the mob by assuming the identity of a homeless man. Mickey One. Mickey One. I don't know. Don't know. One like numero or one like whoo-hoo, I won. Uh, n- numero. Numero gotcha. uno. No. Mickey. Runeo. Um, oh, dear. Oh, <laughs> Mickey Runeo. Uh, yes, of course, Shirley MacLaine was considered, and that would be a little bit awkward to have Warren Beatty and Shirley MacLaine, so that did not happen. Uh, Leslie Caron. Leslie Caron! Leslie Caron. Because uh, originally Warren Beatty was going to then cast her, his main girlfriend at the time. And according to Caron, who, an American in Paris, Gigi, of, if you're not familiar with her. She's great. And according to her, he said, she's, or she said, quote, he told me bluntly, let's face it, you're too old for me. That hurt. Which it's like, you're together in real life. She's six years older than him. But it's like, you're together in real life. So to say, like, you're too old for me. She's to... with Warren Beatty or she's with, with Truffaut? With Warren Beatty. Oh, I thought you were saying she no, was no, no, with no. Truffaut. We're done with Truffaut. Truffaut was interested in Alexandra ah, Stewart. See. Truffaut had nothing to do with Leslie Caron. So my apologies if that wasn't clear. No, Warren yeah, Beatty was dating Leslie Caron at the time and was going to cast her. But then he was like, no, you just, you know. There are nicer ways to say that, or and Maybe also there are ways like, to like your, not even worry about your it. Your French accent doesn't read as like you're from West Dallas. <laughs> turns out, so maybe that's the deal breaker. Maybe this was just his way of breaking up with her. He was just really bad about it. It was like, how am I going to break well, up? with Well, he her? was notoriously a swine. I mean, so well, there you go. There you go. Share. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. She's incredibly talented. Won an Oscar. I just didn't really didn't expect Especially that. Especially so, so young. So at 1967, share. Wow. Uh, Sonny was furious because this is a very controversial film at the time as well, which is why a lot of people turned it down. It wasn't mm. even just a matter of auditioning people and trying to find the right one. It was trying to audition someone and get someone to say yes because so many people why were. Why was it nervous. controversial? The violence. Oh, okay. <laughs> Extremely violent film for 1967, as we said with like the gunshot to the yeah. face. Like this is very very. I, that's, I think that's also why, like, Jack Warner was like, no, 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 put this in drive-in theaters. This isn't, this isn't this an Oscar-caliber yeah. film, no. Uh, so it was mainly that. It was the violence. I mean, she's not actually naked in the beginning, but censors would try to tell Beatty that, or in Arthur Penn, it's like that you could see her nipples in the beginning, but it's like, you can't. You can't. But sure. Uh, so anyway, Cher was considered, which is wild to think of the more i think about it the more i i I I like it i like it a lot i mean that's what i like about faye dunaway in this and the stuff that faye dunaway i mean i think her most successful films to me or and performances are this chinatown and network are like the three big ones three i think three incredible performances yes and it's because i think they're three she's so good at not caring one iota about being nice yeah and I think that's she, hard. That is she hard. Has, that is it's a, really that hard is for an skill. actor. Even uh, the thing is, is like, even if an actor is playing someone who's like, oh, I'm going to be really mean, there's still, I mean, I'm guilty of this because I also tend to play villains who are literally cartoons, like Ursula, Wicked Witch is Green. You know, there's a certain amount of like leaning into the largesse of that that is distancing, which is okay for a cartoon, but something like this where it's just like she has no ego about being liked by the audience, which actually makes me really like her and see her as a fully formed human 
Yeah. You know? Very human. Very wonderfully flawed human. Even in network where you're like, oh my God. But you know that woman. I know. Where you're like, this is still a real human. Which is so hard to do. Yes. It's like you can't just turn them into a caricature. It's very Miranda Priestley, as done by Meryl Streep as opposed as to by someone Meryl else. Streep herself. Uh, see our last episode on Devil Wears Prada. But yeah, I, I like just think of share, you know, snap out of it. Just share someone that's not, I mean, it's maybe, maybe 67. She hadn't fully come into her own as the share of share. She was still. She's still share. But in terms of like, yeah, of being able to just boss around everyone where it does mm-hmm. feel like it does feel in those in those cramped car shots of with the five of them oh, you're like man. to me i was like she's the most dangerous one in the car yeah she's yeah. the one that's like don't piss her off she's the one that's like you know and when she goes out, running send off. Him out for food go out for pie yeah clyde needs to go be with bonnie alone because she is who knows what she might do mm-hmm because you know it's it's a two parter. It's Bonnie and Clyde. It's like she's she she's with a, she's above the title. That's why she belongs above the title. Because this is that is I'm still she not is over that. Such a vital part of the film and of the coupling. It's just bananas to me. Uh, Julie Christie was considered. I legit in the very first frame thought of Julie Christie because of how she shot. Mm. It's very. Lara and Zhivago. Like, it, it looks very, very... I said, I think, when the movie started, I was like, wow, this was shot in the 60s. Not in a bad way. It's just like, look at the way that they are shooting her. Yeah. And it reminded me a lot of the way Lean shot Julie Christie. Mm. Yeah, I think she'd be great. Love mm-hmm. Julie Christie. Sue Lyon was considered. Lolita's Sue Lyon. Oh. oh uh, which, no. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I feel like after Lolita, that was a real, like, any any kind of edgy female role yeah. she like did that the night, night of the iguana mm-hmm. uh and you know i, I get it i get it i, I think get Faye it Dunaway, i mean Faye Dunaway is great i mean this whole cast yes. is it's as we said this whole quintet is knockout so Beatty is quoted having said Faye wasn't my first choice we'd been turned down by about 10 women here's the list so this isn't all 10 but here's who we've got quoted by him natalie wood who declined mm-hmm. the role to concentrate on her therapy at the time and acknowledged that working with Beatty before had been difficult. You think? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tuesday Weld had to turn it down because uh, oh. she was pregnant, though she did have time in 1967 to play Abigail Williams in a TV movie of The Crucible with George C. Scott as John Proctor, which Ooh. I like that. I like that casting. I want to see yes. George C. Scott George C. Scott. about my name. Very young George C. Scott is, is uh, in the Buck camp. Like, yeah. That kind of like... That large fun i mean he's not always fun but just like <laughs> bring in the party yeah no absolutely i like that uh sharon tate oh turned it down instead 1967 was valley of the dolls which mm-hmm. is one of her you know mm-hmm. biggest things uh and margaret but they I, couldn't come to an agreement on salary i did think Anne margaret as well and that was partially because of how they have um faye dunaway's hair styled i was like this is very Anne margaret mm. And finally, Jane Fonda, oh. which I would love. love yeah, Jane she's Fonda great. In this. So Baby said all of these women turned them down. But Jane Fonda in a 2012 interview said that she wanted the role desperately and was still angry for losing it to Faye Dunaway. So that makes it sound. When was Cat Baloo? Early 60s? Earlier. Like Cat Baloo was early 60s. Yeah. yeah. Cat Baloo, if not 60s, it was early. I remember it was earlier 60s. Yeah. So I was like, where was Jane Fonda in her career? I was like, yeah. oh, okay, she's still. Because this would be like the much more dramatic <laughs> version of 
you know, Cat, Cat Baloo. Baloo. Yes. Well, Cat you know, Baloo she's like a, a comedic outlaw, musical you know. With Lee Marvin, who I think won an Oscar for, uh, for Cat Baloo, for lead actor. Uh, and Jane Fonda was too busy in 67 doing Barefoot. She was walking barefoot in the park with Robert Redford. Wow, 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 wow. So those are all the characters that I found other casting options for. But there are a few characters we didn't mention, so we got to briefly touch on them. Uh, there's Denver Pyle as Frank Hamer, the Texas Ranger, who Great. his biggest thing is 146 episodes of Dukes of Hazard as Uncle well, Jesse. So there you go. So he, he, he used those banjos all the way over to Dukes of Hazard for so many years. Yeah. So many years. Gene Wilder, film debut as Eugene Grizzard. Crush. Crush. So this, what a great touch of the little napkin little little napkin bib tucked into his neck because they steal they steal his car and him and his girlfriend are like that's your car they get another car to chase after them and then the barrows then like turn around and just chase them because they're like oh you know what he's like i'm gonna get those kids velma i'm gonna oh and she's like what if they have guns Eugene, what if they have guns and he's like all right, we better return. get we the better, police. We better get the police, and they step steal on it, Velma. Them, put them in the car, but then they just become like fast friends. They're eating burgers. They're Gene Hackman's telling his old jokes, uh, and they're just having a grand old time uh, until Bonnie finds out he's an undertaker, and then she just turns, turns get them out of the and car. get him out, and just then they're just left there, and he's got this little napkin sticking out of his collar, just like a little dweeb, and I love it. I love it. It's so nice seeing teeny tiny young Gene Wilder because I feel you know I'm so used to him. Not that well, much he, far he, yeah, from this. Yeah, he came right but... out of the gate, like, with Young Frankenstein, you yeah. know, just, like, really soon. Producers, I think, was the first, Producers the first and, one. I think that was, like, probably, was that the same year, 1967? Or maybe the year after? Producers was 67. Young Frankenstein was 74. Thank you. So producers was the sa- so the same year as this that he had this and the producers. But I guess this came out first, or he filmed it first, yeah. or whatnot. Well, it would take a lot less time that to do this and the producers for him. Yeah. Oh, to do. I say. I say. I say. That's true. That's true. Uh, but he's so good. And Estelle Parsons. Ugh. I mean, I not that she wasn't great this whole film, but it was that scene, that last scene of hers where she's like it's shot, like I think shot in the eye or yeah. I, I wasn't sure if she, what exactly happened because then or, it seemed she'd be blinded in both. It could maybe glass or something. I think it seemed like she got shot in or near her eye and then she was like so concerned with Buck that she didn't notice until it, like she yeah. couldn't see but then out they, of it or something. they cut to her where like both of her eyes are wrapped, like the top yeah. half of her face. You're, you're not seeing the top it's half like of this actor's plaster face. And, gauze. and you've got, yeah, you've got the, the Texas Ranger is interrogating her to get CW's name. But she does so much in this scene where you're only seeing the bottom half of her face. And she's so good. And she's clearly so nose. terrified. Her husband is now dead. And she's so scared. And, like, he just gets, once he gets the information, he just quietly leaves the room and shuts the door on her while she's talking. And it really is. It's such a gut punch of a moment. And you're, and I was like, we we, finished, we watched that scene. It changed. It moved to, moved to the next scene. I was like, well, that, that's what one of the Oscar. Oh, yeah. Just, like, you're disposable, yeah. you know? And so this was, I saw in trivia that this was her first film. She had one other, like, film before this, but it seemed like a very small one. So this is, for all intents and purposes, her first big film. Wow. And she, so she was very amazed at the extent of the special effects, which I like this, knowing how they did this. There's the one scene where her and Gene Hackman are trying to escape the motel room, and they're using the mattress to protect from the gunfire. So Parsons had to crank a concealed wheel behind it 
that would detonate the squibs embedded in the foam of the mattress. Oh. Whereas, because now it's like, oh, they're all like remote control. Yeah. But there it's like, this is easier. Like, you're just going to set off these squibs from oh, the man, back. Oh, man, that's like good old-fashioned theater. I love that. That's the kind of I thing where I'm like, that. wow, you have no idea how much I'm having to do, like, offstage with one hand before I run back on. Like, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just think that she's so good in this. It's so different from the real Blanche, who I think, as I said, tried to sue Warner Brothers over the way she was depicted in the film. Estelle Parsons was apparently the only one of the cast who actually researched the history of the Barrow Gang. Wow. And she wanted to meet with the real Blanche Barrow, but Warren Beatty was against the idea, then relented. He set up a meeting with Blanche like a week later, but at that point, Parsons lost interest, which, you know, sometimes, especially when it's like, this character in this film is not this woman. So you can meet her, but it's, you know, she wasn't the daughter of a preacher. She yeah. apparently was, uh, by some accounts, just as much a looker as Bonnie. Mm-hmm. And just as much, like, part of the gang of, like, That was my understanding, as she was much more on board. There's this great, the great shot in the film where she's running out with the, which I didn't even see what it was. You realized it was a spatula she's running out. It's not a spatula. Oh. It's, like, um, a four... A spackler, oh, okay. like like to to, well, to she's spackle got some over something. something. It's like either way, she's... basically like a flat right. shovel that's just like the most ineffectual thing against like <laughs> a, a barrage of people with gunfire. You know? Yeah. Well, apparently, in real life, she's the one that was helping them. Like she was help push a car out, so it went down the hill to like ram the police car so they could like escape. So she was a lot more in it. So she mm-hmm. she saw. She took her third husband, Eddie, to see the movie with her for the first time and, according to her, nearly died of embarrassment. Well, yeah. Yeah. You're like, I, I mean, don't glamorize crime and all, but, like, I was cool. But at least glamorize me. I was not Glamorize this. the ones that got out alive. Uh, I know, but what do you got to do? Oh. Yeah. All right, let's do our final thoughts. Anything else that we haven't touched on, Enemy Joe? Any other small roles in the film there's not a ton there's very few you no got, it's like, very great... theatrical in that way yeah that the bonnie's mom which is great a part of me kind of wish that we saw her in the beginning oh yeah but i like that we don't get any there's there's nothing to like connect her to this woman because yeah. we're like we we only know her from her bonnie as the bank robber we don't know much of this woman in the they beginning both just kind of both bonnie and clyde just kind of appear as though they weren't human beings before they met each other yeah there's like almost a dreamlike nature to that opening sequence where they're yeah. just walking and talking and the great cutting they do between like him showing her the gun oh, and you yeah. see her eyes like go down you see the gun her eyes go back up to him and he's just wiggling his match between his teeth it's so good yeah it is it's very it, yeah it's as though these are people who never had parents or anywhere that they came from all that they exist for is to move forward which is very much, you know, just keep running. You know, that that poem that Bonnie published, I believe the, I mean, people call it like the the story of Bonnie and Clyde or the ballad of Bonnie and Clyde, but I think it was actually called The Trail's End, you know, as mm. they're like knowing this isn't going to last too Ooh. much longer. But just right. it's like, yeah, we're just heading down that trail until we can head no more. Yeah, I don't really have any other thoughts. I really enjoyed it. I was very glad to revisit it. I do love the scene where we actually get to see them being good at robbing banks. Like the whole gang comes out like, it's the Barrow gang. And they're all like, yeah. and then Gene Hackman just like jumps over like the top of the the windows. Yeah, he vaults up there. He's like, wee! I had never seen Gene Hackman. Uh, so young, so spry. Yes, uh, with that physical prowess, mm-hmm. which was great to see. But I love that. I love seeing it. There, that's like the fun of seeing them be really good at the thing even though it's like they ultimately like weren't that successful they were just really lucky Mm. but uh it's fun it's fun to see that and they come and they just look so stylish like her in that like striped 
blazer shirt type thing. I see why people dressed like her. Why wouldn't you? Why don't we? Why why, why don't, don't we I? now? Gosh, I gotta gotta fix this. Uh, so I'll end with this: that Gene Wilder and Evans Evans sequence is based on the kidnappings of Undertaker H D Darby and his acquaintance Sophia Stone, which was near Ruston, Louisiana, in 1933 by the Barrow Gang. They were both released unharmed several hours later, and according to Darby, one of the Barrow Gang members asked what he did for a living, and when he replied that he was an undertaker, Bonnie Parker allegedly said to him in a sarcastic tone that, quote, you may have to work on me someday. In the following year, H.D. Darby was one of the coroners that worked on Bonnie and Clyde after they'd been killed by the police. You're kidding. I am not. Wow. Amy Jo. Jeff. What are you recommending this week? I'm thrilled you asked. Uh, I'm recommending YGB Collective, which is a subscription box. It's every other month. And YGB stands for Young, Gifted, and Black. So it's two young Black female entrepreneurs who source Black female produced items and then ship them to you in these lovely boxes every other month. And I can't tell you, like everything i've gotten they're they're just about to send out their third box i think everything i've gotten from these boxes i have been obsessed with there's like body scrubs and candles and i got this fitness band i you hear me talk incessantly (laughs) about how much i'm obsessed with this resistance band you love this band i do it's by red fox fitness um but it came in the box i'm like well i gotta get more of these in different weights but everything is very carefully curated and considered and by you know supporting it you're directly supporting small businesses and black female entrepreneurship so it's like a really good way to support um the development of black female entrepreneurs and also get like beautiful products so again that's ygb collective love it jeff amy chow what you recommending Uh, i'm gonna recommend the film blue ruin from 2013 directed by jeremy saulnier who kind of then came to more prominence with green room a few years later with old piece to himself patrick stewart so this film blue ruin uh was a small crime drama thriller uh, about a outsider's quiet life that gets turned upside down when he returns to his childhood home to carry out an act of vengeance uh and it's the kind of film where the less you know about it the better uh it's not exactly like a bonnie and clyde but i am like it is this like grittier crime drama and i think it's exceptionally well made so if you are just looking for if you like a good thriller or crime drama uh and you're looking for something new check out blue ruin from 2013 and that's what we're recommending this week do you have a movie that you love for us to break down the casting of Email us at endalmoststarring at gmail.com and let us know. Find us on Instagram and or Facebook at endalmoststarring. Especially if you want to see what film we're doing next week. Ooh, I know some of you like to prepare. Until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred.